Welcome to Whitechapel Church Online. You're currently listening to preaching from our Sunday services. We believe that when the preaching happens, that collectively we're hearing the Word of God, and that God's Word has the power to change who we are. We also believe that God can meet you right where you're at, and that He has a Word specifically for you. We hope that you enjoy today's sermon, and we would love to have you at an in-person service. Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon, and be blessed. Thank you. And we're very blessed to have past, not only Pastor Michael, but Melissa and Lucy and Abby. Um, I just want to say thank you for entrusting me to be up here and speak. Um, I'm really excited. Uh, if you don't mind, if you want to say a prayer for me real quick, I actually lost my voice on Wednesday, and I thought for sure I'd be back by today, but it's a little little raspy still, so um, I'm, gonna, I'm just the vessel, right? I'm going to let the Holy Spirit and the Word of God do the work, um, but I'm very excited uh, about this morning, and we're going to be jumping into Acts 18, and as I was reading through this, um, there was just a, a, a scripture in this chapter that really stood out to me. Um, And so we're going to focus on this one main idea throughout, but there are so many different things that could be preached on in this one chapter of the Bible, right? And that that pretty much goes for any chapter of the Bible. And so I want to encourage you to always go back and read through it and see what's sticking out to you, but this is what I feel like uh, the Lord has put on my heart, so we're going to jump right in, if that's all right. Um, Acts 18. We're just going to do the first verse, Okay. Well, we're going to do most of it, but right now we're going to do the first verse. It just says, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And so if you remember last week, Pastor Michael spoke on the end of Acts 17, and so now Paul has left Athens and he's in Corinth. And we need to stop here because it's really significant to understand the context of what Corinth was like. And so maybe some of you already know, um, but Corinth, I would say just think of Vegas, right? And maybe times it by 100, So Paul walks into the city Corinth that is a trade city. Um, They are very wealthy. They have many people passing through. They have a booming population, much larger than that of what Athens was. And it is this uh, dark place, this place of evil, that was a center of worship for the goddess Aphrodite. And the thing about Aphrodite was there was a temple for her, and there were a thousand prostitutes in this temple might not be what you expected, but this town, this city, was known for their immorality, and really specifically, they were known for their sexual immorality. And so Paul is walking into this dark city, and uh, also her, her uh, little, I guess, side note was goddess of love. So Aphrodite, the goddess of love, is promoting this immorality in this trade city. And so along with all of the wealth and the luxury that's going along with with this booming population and everything that's happening is uh, just immorality of many kinds. And actually, they even turn it into a verb, and to Corinthianize means to be sexually immoral. And so Corinth is a place of evil, it's a place of darkness, but Paul didn't let this stop him from going into the city. And what I find really incredible is that he not only went into the city to preach the gospel, he went alone. And I think that's really significant because typically the disciples are going with two people, right? There's two of them. But Paul goes into the city alone, and he's determined to be a light. And if we know anything about light, you can't 
you can't cast it out, right? Um, as most of you know, we have a son, and um, there were times throughout his the first almost 11 months of life that he would not nap well. And so a couple of months ago, we went through this phase where Jones was just not napping. He would sleep for like 30 minutes and wake up, and we were having the hardest time getting him to sleep. And I told Jordan, I remembered, I had a friend, or have a friend who has three, uh, three under three, and so she was giving me all of this advice, and she said, when he was first born, she told me, when he naps, make sure that if you go into the room, that you can put your hand six inches in front of your face and not see it. I was like, well, that just doesn't even seem possible, but... So I, did, I didn't try it, though. I was like, he's snapping fine. But then a couple months ago, he wasn't. So I told Jordan, I remember her saying this, we need to make it so dark that we can't see our hand in front of our face. And so we go into his um, room, his nursery, and we actually have blackout shades that we pull down. He has two big windows in his room. We pulled them down. We have uh, blackout curtains on top of that, and yet light was still getting through. So we thought, you know, you're willing to do anything to have that sacred nap time, right? So I get on Amazon and I'm doing some research trying to figure out how to block out this light. And I end up finding this DIY, like cut some black film with like a reflective paper on it. And so I buy it and you know, Amazon, it was there the next day. So we get it out, we go in the room, Jordan cuts it to size, we're, we're putting it around. And it made the room pretty dark, but it still had light coming in. And so, it's not even there anymore because we are selling our house and we had to take it down. And so we just kind of gave up. The darkness was, it, it didn't matter. The light was going to seep through. It was coming out the edges. It might not have been a lot, but it was still coming through. And so we know that, that the darker it is, the brighter a light will shine. But we also know based on scripture that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So trying to block out the light, it can't happen. And so Paul knows this, and even though he's alone, he decides, I'm going into this city, and I'm going to preach the gospel. This is my mission. This is my call. This is what I'm doing. So he's determined. So as we go on through verses uh, 2 through 4, right when he gets there, he meets a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome, Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. So I want to stop there again. I think most of us maybe knew that Paul was a tent maker, a leather maker, and he would do this when he would go into cities and he didn't have the finances to support the ministry that, that God had called him to. And so I just want to point out that tent making, I, would, I feel pretty confident in saying this was not Paul's passion. Tent making wasn't his passion. It was simply the means to fulfill the call on his life, his real passion, which was Jesus. And so I love this about Paul, that he knows he's going to this dark city where there's so much evil present, there's not going to be financial aid available for him. And it doesn't stop him. He goes and he's tent making, and no doubt I'm sure he was still spreading the gospel as he's doing this. And then on his one day off, he's still going into the synagogue, which was a pattern for him. This was common for him to do. And he is preaching that Jesus is the Messiah. And so I just love that, that Paul, he's willing to get his hands dirty. He's willing to do the work to do God's work, right? And so I just want to take a moment to encourage you, um, whether you're in school or you have a, a career, to not grow weary of where you are. Maybe the job that you're in, maybe being in school, maybe this is not something that you are passionate about. Maybe where you're working, you're just, it's just not it. And I, and I was actually there. Um, I love where I work now. But before I was here, 
I was not passionate about my job. I was, I was teaching high school PE, and I just, I did not love it. And I remember I would come home each day to Jordan, and, and I was just, just so excited to hear about his day here because he was surrounded by believers. And I would get so excited to, to hear about his day, and I just wanted to be here. But what I was doing is I was kind of wishing away the season that I was in. I was wishing away the place that God had me because our life is ministry. You don't need to be in full-time ministry at a church to do that. And so wherever you are right now, I just want to encourage you to be present because as I look back on my time at, at school, for sure I was a light in some ways. I, I, I know I, I tried, but as I look back, I know I could have done better. I know that God had me there for a reason, and I could have done a better job. And so I don't want you to look back on the season that you're in or the place that God has you right now and have regret that you weren't shining his light as bright as you could while you were there. Because God does not make mistakes, and you are where you are for a reason. I was just talking with someone last week um, at church who was telling me, you know, I only work with three other people in my office. Just three. And she said, but I've been able to share the gospel. And I said, that's amazing, because that's where God has you. And so she understood, she understands what her mission is, what her call is, just as Paul did, that it's to go and be a light, it's to love God, it's to love people, it's to make disciples. So wherever you are, you can go out, you can be a light. And so we see that Paul, he begins his work. He comes to do what he came to do. He starts in the synagogue on his day off, and he's spreading the gospel. But then the boys come back. Praise God. Silas and Timothy come back to Paul. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. And so here's what happens. As they come back, they bring... Um, some encouraging news about the Thessalonians, which we know from 1 Thessalonians. And they bring um, a gift of money from the congregation at Philippi. And we know this because of 1 Corinthians. So it doesn't explicitly say this in Acts 18, but we know that they've brought money and they've brought encouragement. And so what I find really interesting is that when a group of believers got together, two things happened. Two things happened. Encouragement and more kingdom building. Right? Those finances were provided so that Paul could now completely devote himself to spreading the gospel. And so that we need each other. That's what we're called to do. Encourage each other and build the kingdom of God together. So Paul is now able to live out this, this real passion of his and spread the gospel. He's spreading the same message that he received on Damascus Road, that Jesus is the Christ. And so no, Paul's no stranger to opposition, right? It says in verse 6, But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your heads. I am innocent of it. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. So because of this opposition from the Jews, Paul decides to turn away. They're not receiving it. He's planted the seed. He's going to move on. And so our order of events so far is he's proclaimed Jesus as the Messiah. He's rejected by the Jews. Now he's going to go and have this outreach to the Gentiles. In verse 7, it says, Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, this is significant, and his entire household believed in the Lord, the synagogue leader. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. And so we know um, that Paul, he is used to seeing great success, right? He's used to going out and he sees people believing, people being baptized. But then he's also used to great opposition, 
And a lot of times he gets driven out. But right now we see this success happening. We see that many believed, many were baptized. And so you would think, based on that, that Paul was kind of on a high right now, right? Because he sees all these people believing. He sees all these people being baptized, coming to Jesus. So you'd think he'd be on a high. But then the very next verse, it says, One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. This is his second longest missionary journey. Normally, Paul's just in a place for a couple of weeks, right, because he has great success, and then he's driven out by the people who don't like him, who don't like the the word that he's spreading. But he stays for a year and a half. And so I'm sure he was growing accustomed to this, And maybe perhaps this is why he's afraid. He's in Sin City, right? This could be why he's afraid. Because he knows he's going to be driven out. He knows that he could face physical harm. But I think it's really significant as well. Because we know Paul, he's been beaten. He's been stoned. He's been thrown in prison. So I think it's really significant that God not only tells him to not be afraid, but and because he's with him, but he also says that he is not going to let anyone attack and harm him. So Paul has this um, peace of mind that physically... He's going to be all right. And I would imagine, if I were Paul, that that would be pretty relieving. He's still going to face opposition, right? But physically, he's going to be okay. And so he gets this promise from God. And he's urged to keep on ministering. And he was obedient. And so what I want us to take hold of this morning is is this first part of what God tells him. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. This is going to be the focus of today. We know that we live in a broken world, right? Ever since the fall, we've been living in a broken world where evil and darkness and lies are actually fought for, right? And we see really prevalent right now some some pretty big lies and darkness and evil that's happening in our world. We see people who are actually celebrating and fighting for the murder of an unborn child. And we see people who are celebrating and fighting for same-sex marriages. And we see people who are celebrating and fighting for the the actual mutilation of children's and and adults' bodies. And they, they fight for all of this supposedly in the name of love and inclusion and feelings based on how we feel. But we, you and me, us believers, we know better than to be like the world and let our feelings lord over us, right? Because as real as our feelings are, they're not always true. But us as believers, we know the truth, and his name is Jesus, amen? We know the truth. And so here we have God telling him he's in this terrible place, this place full of evil, and he, he is trying to spread the good news. He is trying to make disciples, and God is telling him to not worry about it. You don't need to be afraid of man. He's not going to touch you. He's not going to harm you. You're good. I'm with you. And we can take hold of that same exact promise. He's talking to Paul, but we can take hold of that. How many times in Scripture do we see, do not be afraid? God wouldn't say do not be afraid unless there was fear. But we have no reason to fear. And so we live in this broken world where if you actually speak the truth of God's word, you're going to be opposed by some people, right? You're going to be opposed. 
but where we have all of this evil that's being fought for and celebrated. And although we may not understand it and it may make things seem dim, we cannot stay silent. We have to keep on speaking. We have to. And, and this is a word that's I feel so strongly about because of the, the position that, that Jordan and I hold with the school and with our youth group, with all of these young lives, because I don't know how much you're on social media, but this stuff is just being crammed down your throat. And I keep seeing Christians who are starting to buy into the lies and the evil of some of these things and still claim to love Jesus. And so I feel strongly about this because someone has to stand up for the truth. Somebody has to teach our, this next generation the truth, Jesus, the only way. And so we have to stand up for the unborn lives. We have to stand up for the sanctity and the purpose of marriage, why God created it. And we have to stand up for the fact that there are only two genders, right? And that if you're born a woman, you stay a woman. And even if maybe your feelings tell you otherwise, there is a God who loves you so much and he does not make mistakes, and he can help you through any type of feelings you may be having, any type of doubt that you may be having. So we have to stand up. We cannot be silent. We cannot let the response of the world affect our response to his word. We cannot let the response of the world affect our response to his word. We have to stand up for it. We have to stand up for the truth. No matter how uncomfortable it makes us, even if it does put us physically in harm's way, it does not matter. It's all about him. It's not about us. We're here to point to him and to point others to him. So we can't be afraid of how the world's going to respond when they hear us stand up for the unborn child, the sanctity of marriage, the, 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 gen, these, the gender confusion that's happening. God doesn't make mistakes, and I, it's, I, I love Paul. He's one of my favorite people to read about because he fought for the truth so boldly. He lived a brazen life for Christ. Brazen, bold. He was not abrasive. Some might have said otherwise, but he was just speaking the truth. And so he knew the difference between being brazen and, and being abrasive. He came and he spoke the truth. He's in this city full of evil, this dark place, and he stood up, he spoke, and he was a light. He did not let that scare him. He did not let that light be over, overtaken, overcome. And through the Holy Spirit's power, that is how all of that happened. It's nothing about Paul that made it happen. It's all about the Holy Spirit's work through him. And so there's a difference, and, and I, I want us to not forget that Jesus ruffled some feathers during his time on earth. Because when people hear the truth, they don't like it sometimes, because what the truth does is it calls us out on our sin. And we don't like to be told that we're doing something wrong, right? I know when I was a child, whenever, you know, I put a lot of blame on my older brothers when things happened. You know, my parents asked me, like, what happened here? And I'm like, oh, well, they did that. That wasn't me. Like, well, it's because they did that, so I responded this way. But that's, that's not how it works, right? The truth calls us out, but, but it's in love. And when the truth calls us out in our sin, as uncomfortable as it may make us, we know that the truth actually sets you free. And so it can make you uncomfortable, but I love what Pastor Michael said last week. Um, I may not quote it verbatim, but he said that God won't leave you the way you are when he finds you. And praise him for that. I'm so thankful I'm not who I was before I really was walking with Jesus. He, he takes you and he molds you and he changes you into who he has created you to be. And now your thoughts become his thoughts, right? Your desires become his desires. 
And so the truth should be all that matters to us, despite our feelings, despite our circumstances. The truth is what matters. It calls us out on our sin, but God, he is faithful, and he is with us, and he will walk us through it, and he will set us free. So when we accept the truth, we're free. And so people, these, these Corinthians, they, they're seeing Paul, they're hearing Paul, and they're beginning to recognize this truth, and they're beginning to submit to the king of kings, and they're beginning to, to be baptized. But notice that Paul, he also knew when to move on, right? When the, when the unbelieving Jews were starting to oppose him and starting to get a bit um, brutal with him, he decided now's the time to walk away, right? All we can do is plant the seed. I, and I, Pastor Michael said this last week as well. We, it's our job to, to plant the seeds. It's our job to be the light, to spread the word. But we don't have to do the heavy lifting after that. It's the Holy Spirit who's ultimately going to bring someone to him, who's ultimately going to change a heart. He just uses us as the vessels to do so. He doesn't need us, right? His, his will is going to be done no matter what, but he chooses to use us, and that's pretty incredible. And so we can take hold of this. Do not be afraid. Do not be silent. Keep on speaking. Our world needs it. And I know that, you know, despite what the media may say, there are a lot more people who believe in the truth than, than maybe what they want you to, to think. There are people who are standing up for the word of God. And we know that God is with us. We can take hold of this. And so this is pretty, pretty awesome. So we just saw that uh, back in verse 10, yeah, so for I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. So, so God makes him this promise. And then the very next two verses, we see the promise fulfilled. So this is, this is pretty awesome. While Gallio was pro-council of Achaia, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. So here we see unbelievers uniting for evil, much like we see today, and they come against one man, one man, and they brought him to the place of judgment. This man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Seems like a pretty, like, whiny thing to come and bring someone before judgment for, um, but but we have these people who are united against him, but it doesn't matter when God's on your side, right? It doesn't matter how strong, how many. It does not matter if God is for me, who can be against me? And so this is what I love in verse 14. It says, just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to them. So Gallio spoke up for Paul. Paul didn't have to do anything. So we see God use someone who's not even one of his children to protect Paul. And Gallio says, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor, or serious crime, right? So this is kind of petty. It would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle the matter for yourselves. I will not be a judge of su such things. So he drove them off. And so we see this promise is fulfilled already. He was facing this great opposition. He's, he's put before counsel, before judgment, and he's expected to defend himself, but Paul doesn't have to say a word, and it, it makes me think about when Jesus just, you know, when he was before judgment, he just didn't speak. Paul went to, but he didn't get the chance to because God told him, I'm with you. I got you. You don't have to worry about anything. They're not going to harm you. You're still facing opposition. You have these people uniting against you, but, you, but nothing is going to, going to harm you. 
So he doesn't even get to defend himself. Gallio, a non-believer, defends him. And so we know that God, he always does what he says he's going to do. We don't need to fear man. Our purpose is to point to him. And I believe that we need to be in this posture of worship. Worship was amazing today, by the way. The Holy Spirit was moving and is still moving. And I believe that we need to be in this posture of worship all of our lives. We need to be down before the king. We need to say, God, it's not about me. My life is nothing without you. The whole purpose, the whole reason that you've placed me here in this moment in time, in, in 2023, in South Daytona at Whitechapel Church, there's a, there's a reason you have me here, and it's not anything for me, anything for my glory. It is all about you and pointing to you. And if we can wake up every morning in this posture of, God, I must decrease, you must increase. The longer that I've, I've been walking with the Lord, the more I, I realize just how insignificant I am. And I don't mean that in like a negative way. Like it's more of this, this posture of like, wow, like I'm one of a lot and God still chooses me. I'm not enough without him. I'm not enough without the Holy Spirit. It is only through the Holy Spirit that I am. And it is only because he chose me. We're so undeserving of his faithfulness, of his love, of the sacrifice that Jesus made on Calvary, and yet he chooses us anyway, and that is why we fall to our knees in worship and we say, it's all about you, God. I don't know about you, but I want to be in these next, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, I want to see the church stand up for the truth in a world that stands for lies. We know that the truth will set people free. As much as they don't want to hear it, as uncomfortable as it makes them sound, we have to stand up for it because if we can just plant those seeds, the Holy Spirit will do the work. And again, he can do any of this without us. He can, and his will will be done. But don't you want to walk alongside him in that? Paul understood the mission, and we have the same mission that he has to point to him and to point others to him, to go out, to make disciples. We are to love our neighbor as ourselves. He understood this, and he understood that because he was saved, he was now being sent out. So if you are here today and you are saved by the blood of Christ, it does not stop there. You are now sent to do the Lord's work, to walk alongside him, to be in partnership with him and do his work, whether it be at your job, at your school, wherever you find yourself, the, the cash register at Walmart, you are to be a light for him because if you are saved, you are sent. We cannot just live in the comfortability of, I'm good, I'm saved. We have to start living our faith out because faith is something that should be moving. It has to move. If your faith isn't moving, how strong is it really? Because it can't stay stagnant. It's going to start falling backwards. It's, you're going to move in the wrong direction if you're not in the word, if you're not spending quiet time with God, if you're not making sure that you're standing up for his truth not in an abrasive way, but in a brazen, in a bold way, that you're standing up for Christ. And I think one of the easiest ways to stand up for Christ, to, to point to him, to point others to him, is to tell your story. Not because it's about you, but to say, hey, look what God has done. 
in me and through me and look at who I used to be and look at who I am now. That was nothing that I did on my own. That was all God. And so we have this call, this mission on our lives that, that God has placed us here to achieve. And so I just want to challenge you this morning, church, as much as this has challenged me because I don't, I don't live this out as well as I could all the time, to go out and be a light. When you go to lunch today, be a light. When you go to work tomorrow, be a light. Every morning, wake up, ask the Holy Spirit to help you to infill you and to flow out of you. He's with you always. You don't need to be afraid. We have to keep on speaking. We cannot be silent. We have to stand up for the truth of God's word. Our faith has to be active because if we're saved, we're sent. And so I want to, uh, as we wrap up, I want to ask two questions. And the first question is, Am I living boldly for Christ? Am I living a brazen life for Christ? I want you to be really honest with yourself. Maybe the answer is no. Maybe the answer is I could do better. If you're saying you're doing it perfect, you're probably not. None of us are, right? So the answer is probably either no or I can do better. I can do better at being a light for Christ. Then I want you to, to kind of identify those areas of where you can be more bold for Christ, of where you can go out and make disciples, of how you're going to be a light for Him. So once you've identified that, the second question is what's stopping you? What is it that's stopping you from being a light for Christ? Maybe it's your comfort, like I mentioned before. Maybe your comfort of you know you're saved, you don't want to step on toes, it's not your personality, you, you just want to kind of sit in the background. Maybe it's your comfort, maybe it's your career. You've got to climb that ladder, you don't have time for, for all of this Jesus stuff, like you're saved, you're good, but you've you got to focus on your career, you've got to focus on providing for your family, which absolutely you should. What is it that's stopping you? Is it your feelings? Are your feelings what are stopping you? Are, you? are you living in fear? Are you letting anything lead you more than you're letting Christ lead you? Are you more surrendered to something else than you are surrendered to Christ? What's stopping you from living out your faith? Because we see Paul, who went alone to Sin City. So what is our excuse? What is our excuse, church? So I want you to ask those questions. Am I living boldly for Christ? And if not, or if I, you could do better, what's stopping you? We've got to identify what's stopping us. Thanks for joining us at Whitechapel Church Online. We pray that today's sermon blessed you and that you'll continue to join us as we lean into God's word together. Until next time, have a great week.